Welcome to the Captain's Table, where we discuss the stories that shape Star Trek in words. My name's Michael, and joining me for this show is Feeve. Hi, Feeve. Hi, Michael. How's things? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm really excited that you're here to, to talk about our next book review. So how, how are things with you? Yeah, it's all nice and, well, it was sunny in Glasgow, but it's now, you know, back to being uh, grey and cloudy and kind of overcast a bit like uh, the book we're going to talk about today the dark veil oh uh, yes and this is the second star trek picard novel and this was written by james swallow and for the listeners it was released in january 2021 almost said 2020 then oh <laughs> uh, it, it's funny because um when i saw the front cover for this book i thought hmm it says picard but it looks like titan and uh it's one of these books that is branded as a Picard book because it's set in the Star Trek Picard TV series timeline in, in that franchise. But it's actually a book that's set entirely on Titan. It revolves around Riker and the Titan crew and their adventure. And it's, it's kind of strange because in some ways it links back to the old Titan novel series that we had that spun out of Star Trek Nemesis. And in other ways, it's quite different. It's, I think it's a lot darker kind of thematically than the old series. And I know that's something that a lot of people complain about, about the new TV series being quite thematically darker. But there's also, you know, the, the core Star Trek uh, principle showing through of exploration and discovery, which is fantastic because that's what a lot of people are looking for. No, I, I agree. And I remember the Titan series and, and I really enjoyed those. And of course, uh, James Swallow wrote quite a few of those. And mm -hmm. um, recently, Ros and I were lucky enough to talk to James about this book. And he did actually mention that um, at first there, there were going to be no references to um, the previous Titan um, works, as in the crew and everything. And again, James put the argument, well, these characters are already in place. They've already been created. Why create new ones? Let's use some of the existing ones. So we, we do see some of the existing characters from that series, like Christine Vell, um, the security Karu. chief, Karu, the security yeah. chief. And, and I, enjoyed, I enjoyed seeing those, those characters because I think as a, as a fan of the Titan stories or most of the Titan stories, um, I think it, it would have been disappointing to have had a Titan story, even though it's set in this Picard universe and not have it connect somehow. So they're different. So they're slightly different characters though, because they haven't been on this journey that we saw in the Titan series. Um, so they've been written differently, um, but they've got most of the key characteristics, would you say? Yeah, I would. Um, just to focus on Vale for a second, I find her a bit more aggressive in this book compared to the old series. I think in the old series, she's much more kind of like a Will Riker at best of both worlds kind of level. Yeah. You know, he's, she's finding her feet. She's confident. She's extremely skilled and she's just finding her feet as a captain in the, yeah. in the novel series when we left her. Whereas in this book, I think she's a bit more militaristic, a bit, kind of more aggressive and she actually reminds me a bit more of an early Kira Norris. Oh, that's interesting because I, I was actually thinking um, 
more like Shelby. I, I, I thought she came, yeah. you know, she's almost yeah. a bit, she's almost like Shelby and, and something in the book. And um, I think backtracking slightly listeners, um, we are going to give some spoilers away. So apologies. And um, you should really go read the book if you haven't read it yet. However, um, within the story, there, there's obvious tension between Riker and Deanna for various reasons. And we're not mm-hmm. going to give too much away. And I think what I found slightly frustrating was that obviously in the, in the previous Titan series, Vel had got used to managing the minefield of um, Will and Deanna if they disagreed and if there were problems. And here it felt we were back to the first book of Titan where it's all beginning mm-hmm. and all getting to know each other. And um, I, I would agree. And, and I think the Vel in the old series would have been a bit more understanding of what Will and Deanna was going through, even mm-hmm. though, Obviously, she didn't know because they, they were keeping it to themselves. However, um, here, like you say, she's she's a lot. She's more of a blunt instrument, almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Still a good character, and 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 James has kept the mo- the best of her, but the tone has changed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm not complaining about the character at all. Just to me, it's it's almost like an it, well, it is. It's an alternate reality version of the veil that we you know. <laughs> Another thing you saying that, you know, it's like Veil back at book one. This Veil never went through the Destiny trilogy with Riker and Deanna. Yeah, that's And right. there was a lot of personal growth between the three characters during that trilogy because of what happens to Deanna and what, you know, Will goes through because he can't be there for Deanna. Is it Deanna or Diana? It's Deanna. 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 Yeah. yeah. The princess was Diana. It's Deanna. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's something that you know you, me, and Ross should really go back to and look at the Titan series because it's it's definitely one of the more successful spin-off series that we've seen. Yeah, th- th- there were some really good stories there. That although, very quickly, I'll say that there, there's one Titan story, and uh, I'm not going to give anything else away. The listeners can figure out which one it is, but I've tried reading that three possibly four times and I always get to the same point and I just can't go on I just I don't know what it is but I can read every other book afterwards but this one just I just can't get into it it's a weird one but back to the Dark Veil um we mentioned um Riker Riker and Troy and I have to say I really I really did enjoy um their, their characters in this story because not only are they dealing with the aftermath of the Mars attack and the Federation mm-hmm. decision not to um, see the Romulans, um, not to help the Romulans, sorry. Um, they're also dealing with being parents now. Yeah, and they they've got the first yeah. of their children, Thaddeus. Thaddeus, not Tasha. No, exactly. Again, a change from Destiny and the, and the Titan series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously Tasha was named after which character? Uh, Tasha Yar, of course. Indeed, yeah. Yes. And she had quite an interesting birth, but again, that's destiny, and we'll come to that another day. Again, it, it's strange because we're going back and we're seeing this Riker and Deanna don't seem to be as confident as parents, and they haven't quite got it sussed. But at the same time, we get the Thaddeus character who is mentioned in the Picard TV series, but, you know, we don't meet him. 
um, kind of fleshed out and we kind of see he's quite inquisitive. And in some ways, I thought he was a little bit too much like Wesley Crusher. <laughs> yeah, you, you can see that. I, I, I think the problem with kids in, in any sort of TV show, and, and I'm not anti-kids, by the way, listeners, um, I think is the fact that there's such a good, there's such a plot point of getting into trouble and, and then they have to get out of trouble and, and it, it, it's just like a very good B plot, isn't it? And I think, mm -hmm. I think we see that here. And, and, and I think the problem with TNG was it was too quick to certainly first couple of years. I'll let, let Wesley solve the problem. Like Spock used to solve everything very much in TOS, mm -hmm. but, um, I liked Thaddeus and, and this is, and, and as, as you say, this is the first time uh, we get to see Thaddeus fleshed out because of course he's only a mention in, in the series because unfortunately he's passed away. So it was good to get to see some of the character. Mm -hmm. It was. And he's quite, he's quite mischievous. And he's quite headstrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can see a lot of his parents in him. Which is interesting. Yeah, because because as you say, he's headstrong and, and mischievous. Like I think he gets that from Will. But then when he when he's talking to his friends and he's convincing them to come along, it's almost like he's he's using the tact that Deanna would have. So mm -hmm. so he, he's using both, and, and and that was quite good to see. Um, yeah, it, it was it was nice seeing more of the character. Um, did it take some something away? From, you know, was there too much Fadius? I don't know. For me, there was, and again, I'm also not anti-kid at all. I have one. I'm going to have another yeah. one, hopefully, touch wood. For me, it was a little bit too much Thaddeus, and, you know, the plot does, one of the plots kind of does hang on him quite a bit, and Troy is more of a secondary character inside Thaddeus's B plot. Yeah, I that think. makes sense. So, for me... If I knew Thaddeus was going to be as big a character and have as much of a plot line in this book as he did, I'm not 100% sure I'd have read the book. That but, makes sense. And it's nothing against the book, it's nothing against James Swallow. But for me, I, I don't look for that. It's not my kind of story. Listening no. to, you know, a preteen run around and get into <laughs> mischief and things like that. I, I'm not the target demographic for a CW TV show. <laughs> no, um, not me. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that's where all the superhero shows are these days. Well, um, yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just, it's not quite my thing. I'd have much preferred if they focused more on the writer plots. Yeah. And if they kind of focused more on you know a different B plot maybe this was like a, a quieter C plot yeah. maybe he could have been affected by something and that's how we get into his later stages of his plot just to give like a small hint something Thaddeus gets in a little bit of trouble he picks up a little kind of knock shall we say but he's fine by the end of the book I must his, admit I, when he had the knock I was mm -hmm. thinking, is this leading into, because as we all know from the series, is it is this the beginning of the end, so to speak? Is this is where he gets diagnosed with, which will eventually lead yeah. to his illness? And, and yeah. I was thinking that. And, and again, James said he didn't, <clears throat> excuse me, James said he didn't want 
to go that way for this book. So, so I was pleased with that because I think if they'd done that, they would have been cramming too much in to the to the story. Yeah, but at the same time, that kind of makes me a wee bit nervous because I do not want a book where Thaddeus, you know, gets whatever eventually catches up with him. I, I doesn't interest me at all having to read a book or listen to a book that involves the death or the pending death of a child. No, um, I agree. I, I I think they won't. I think I think this will be left to our imaginations, however mm -hmm. that comes across. But um But the other yeah, thing I, I don't want them to do is I don't want them to use this as a constant thing we can kind of tease and dangle. Yeah. It's like you've done it once, away with it. He can be in school next time. I I don't need more Thaddeus is such a prominent character. I, I much preferred the way they used Tasha and Renee in the in the old novel series. Yeah. Where they were mentioned and they were bit part characters that interacted with their fathers and their mothers, but they didn't have a full plot wrapped around them. Oh, that makes sense. That does make sense. And it'd be interesting because, you know, the door's certainly left open here for uh, mm -hmm. another Titan story. And um, we'd have to see, you know, what happens there. But I think going back to what you said a little while ago about the parenting, I, I, um, and obviously here the Rikers aren't as confident as they are as parents. Perhaps in some ways they, they were making it more realistic, possibly. You know, I'm not a parent, so, mm -hmm. you know, I can't mm -hmm. really say on this you certainly are and um it could be that perhaps they're making it more real they made it more realistic that they are juggle you know they are struggling to juggle and we do see that very really well written here certainly for Riker mm -hmm. he's struggling mm -hmm. his command with being a parent because he he's Riker's in a difficult situation which we'll get to in a moment and yet you know Thaddeus does go off on an adventure and he does cause trouble and and it's at the back of Riker's mind on what should he do mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, but it's just the extent and the level of trouble Thaddeus gets into. Yeah. I mean, realistically, if I'm Will Riker at the end of the storyline, uh, I'm strongly considering saying, can I be a captain and have a child who's this troublesome and adventurous in, in a good way? He gets in trouble because he's adventurous and he's not mean-spirited at all. He's a very positive and happy child, but at the same time, he gets into trouble that could be avoided if he just thought for a second, I'm not a Starfleet officer. Yeah. <laughs> I should behave myself because the captain is my father. And, oh. you know, it'd be different if Thaddeus was getting into trouble on the Enterprise, I feel, because he, you've got such a big support mechanism there. But on the Titan, it's a smaller ship, smaller crew. There's not much as, there's not the big, huge support mechanism there. You don't have Data and Worf and Geordi and Crusher and Picard as well. The only, the, the engineer gets kind of fleshed out a little bit in this book. I can't remember her name. And you've got Karu and Vale. There's not as much of a, yeah. I feel, you know, a support mechanism. Um, so for me, after a book like this, if I'm Will Riker and considering what happens to the Titan through this book, I'd strongly be considering, 
should I have a family out <laughs> in space? Because yeah. he has a close call here as a parent. Yeah. Um, on more than one occasion, he could have lost his, his family here. And when it's such a prominent storyline, you know, with Thaddeus having the B plot, you could argue the A plot for some of the book. You know, if I'm Will Riker, I, I'd strongly be considering saying, mm, maybe this is not for me anymore. I, I think James um, wrote some of that in the book too. You do see that conflict and, and Deanna's certainly feeling that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, but... Yeah, it, it's... It's a tricky one. It's a fine balance, isn't it? Especially when you're introducing characters that I'm sure people want to get to know, because obviously he was, Thaddeus was only mentioned in the episode. And, mm -hmm. and I'm sure, you know, when people saw what this story was, there was there was excitement that we're going to meet um, or get to meet their son. Um, so it is, it's a fine balance, especially when you've got the A plot and the B plot. Mm -hmm. But speaking of the, the, the A-plot, obviously the story starts off with um, the Titan escorting uh, the Jasfari, a, a race which is heading home. And um, they actually want to leave the quadrant. Uh, they've decided that they're going to up sticks and nobody knows why, but they've decided they're going to move to the Beta Quadrant. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the Titan are escorting them and take, taking their uh, advisors home. And then they get into trouble and to save them from this um, disaster, they have to get the help of the Romulans as well. And that's when everything starts within the story. Yeah, and you know, to be honest, the, the plot line with the Jusari, I actually really enjoyed it. And I thought the Romulan side of the plot is also quite enjoyable and it's also really well written. The, the kind of the inner politics of both the Jusari and the Romulans were both very intriguing because the Jusari are a very secretive race, which is interesting when you consider that there's a member of the Jusari that's on the Titan as a lieutenant. And, you know, he obviously goes back to the Jusari because they're leaving. They no longer feel at home in the Federation. And you kind of get the implication at the start of the book that is it because of the growing sense that, well, we're looking after us and no one else? And you kind of get the feeling that the Jusari who are kind of out in the fringes are maybe a little bit, well, if you're going to look after the core worlds and not care as much about the outer worlds or other societies, do we really fit into this kind of society? And that plot kind of really well develops. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, but the Romulan side of things is also really interesting. Yeah, because with the Romulans, this is what, as we, as, as I said earlier, this is one year after the Mars incident, the Federation have decided not to help the Romulans anymore. And you have the Romulans facing the, the impending supernova, mm -hmm. um, and they're still trying to survive. You have, and they encounter a starship and, 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 how do they react to Starfleet? You've just deserted us. You know, how, how are we supposed to interact with you? And, and fortunately, we, you know, James has written a, a really good Romulan commander. Uh, in, in, and it, forgive me if I pronounce this dreadfully wrong. Uh, Medaka, Medaka. And, I um, said Medica. 
America, that's it. I'm, I'm sure, I, I think the funny thing is in, in the interview of James, I said it perfectly and it's really weird. So there you go, listeners. Um, I'm sure there'll be many spoilers with my pronunciations in the future. And he reminded me so much of the Romulan commander from Balance of Terror, the original series episode, in the sense of yes. his honor. He had that sense yes. of honor and duty and he, yes. wouldn't he wouldn't blindly follow orders. And I think that's why it, the story works because as the story goes on, he has this relationship with Riker. Um, they're equals, they're both starship commanders and they, they, they both respect each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I actually really enjoyed the, the interactions between Madaka and Riker. And there's there's a scene in the book where the two of them come face to face and they have a conversation, and it's there's a lot of honesty even through the cloak and the dagger of it. Um, you know, Riker's kind of asking questions and Medak is asking questions, and they're both trying to be honest, but at the same time not give away everything. And you can see there's a sense of we're out on the outer fringes, we're captains of our starship, and there's a bit of mutual respect there. If not mutual trust, mutual respect. Yeah. And um, another thread that James picks up in this book is through Major Halleck, because Major Halleck, who is representing the Tal Shiar on the Romulan starship, she has her own agenda as well. And her agenda and Medica's agenda, they're not the same at all. Absolutely. And I, I, I think what was interesting about, about the Romulan, the Romulan plot was there is this divergence. He he's just trying to keep his ship going and 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 try and find some sort of hope. And obviously the the Helic is seeing shadows everywhere. And mm -hmm. As the story progresses, what starts off as a simple escort duty for the Titan, then into a rescue mission, suddenly takes on another turn when a secret is found out about the Jasfari, uh, Jasfari, 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 uh, and this is when Helic comes into her own. Her paranoia comes out, and also this is when the book strongly connects with the um with Picard with the first season of Picard mm -hmm. it really really connects now I, I think it's going to be awkward not to talk about this so I think we'll have to we've already done the spoiler alert so we find out that uh they're actually a synthetic life form and obviously mm -hmm. Major Helic um is worried about this because Romulans have a fear of synthetics but for Helic it's actually even worse because she is a member of the Zat Vash yeah, I can't pronounce it, so I was letting you say it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I did it justice. And um, that secret organisation, which obviously um, we, we discover more about in, in the first season of Picard. And for me, it was like a light bulb moment because it all comes together then. Because if you took out that, if you took out that plot point, it's a very typical Star Trek story. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The random Romulan ship in the way, causing trouble, Tal Shiar... You, you do have the troublesome child getting into trouble in the B plot. But here, what connects everything to Picard is, is this plot. And, mm -hmm. and I, th I think for me, uh, the Romulan's fear of the synthetics um, really, brings, really brings home 
the decision that the Federation made because it's still raw. The decision is raw. It's raw for the Romulans. Um, mm -hmm. It's raw for the Rikers because they don't know if they fit into Starfleet anymore because they don't know Starfleet anymore after this decision. And also mm -hmm. we have Major Helic causing all sorts of trouble because she wants to destroy the Jasvari um, now because they're synthetic. Yeah, and I mean, I wasn't sure where the book was going until you had the, what are they called again? The, the just Zap, five? No, the, the, the Zat Vash. Yeah. Zat Vash. Um, I didn't know where it was going until they kind of did that bit of a reveal and I yeah. thought, ah. Yeah, it all made I sense. Get, yeah. I get yeah. it. And it's also interesting because the Rikers are yet again tied to the synthetic life form, see, kind of, which again ties back to Thaddeus and his, you know, final storyline that we don't know about yet because he needed a positronic matrix to survive and he didn't have one because of what happened. So, you know everything kind of ties together beautifully and it all kind of works so it was great yeah i i think as we say as as individual plot points you can think oh i'm not sure about this i'm not sure about that but when when you read it as the whole it it, it really works and um in in some ways for me the the even the main plot felt secondary because i felt james really just wanted to bring out the fear of the Romulans anxiety and, and as I said about everyone trying to come to terms with the decisions the Federation has made and mm -hmm. it gets you thinking about this new type of Federation uh, this very isolationist I think um, after that decision yeah to me the Federation feels a lot like kind of our society now and you know that's great because Star Trek always reflects and sometimes shines a light on the the darker and the less positive aspects of society. And I think what we're seeing here with the Picard era storylines is really a society that's starting to kind of isolate and become isolationist and not trust, you know, the other neighbor, uh, not trust your neighbors anymore. And, you know, I think it's a shame and I think it's sad that that's where we are as a world at the moment. And I think it's a shame that we're seeing that in Star Trek but it's interesting because on the opposite side of that, just to jump to a different topic, Discovery is doing the opposite. They're taking the Federation and bringing it back out to society. They're opening their borders. They're opening their doors. They're saying, hello, my friend. Welcome back. We're here. So we're actually seeing two different sides of the equation. We're seeing the contraction and we're seeing the expansion again. Yeah. And Star Trek, so it's really interesting to see it all happening. I think so, and and it'll be interesting to see where um, the second season of Picard goes, um, mm -hmm. because as we know, Picard lost his sense of hope after everything that happened, and obviously he's starting to to come out of that now, and and, and we're seeing him grow again and 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 see that that hope. So, and again, we're and that's what's good about this series of stories because it's given the background to us. Mm -hmm. um, and it will be interesting to see, unless they, they obviously, there's an upcoming um, Picard story, which is a story of Rios, and I'm sure yeah. we're going to have a Seven of Nine story at some point, but it would be nice to see any upcoming Picard novels set 
after the first season, perhaps before the second, and then we can start to see some of, some of the hope come back. But this story, though, I, I, even though it feels like there isn't any hope, even at the end, um, the, the, the Romulan commander and Riker are able to, to come to an agreement, and there's some hope there, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. While they don't agree with the, the Federation decision, the Jasfari go off into the sunset, so to speak, but at least they know not everybody um, wanted that decision to, to ban all synth life. And, and the Rikers are, are trying to uphold those sort of Federation principles, which they grew up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you're bang on with uh, the end of the book having quite a bit of hope because I love the way that Riker and Medica come together towards the end of the book. And, you know, they're put on trial for the actions that take place during the novel. And the way that that's wrapped up in a way that you really don't expect when you consider it's the Romulans running the show there. Yeah. It's so different and so refreshing, such a change of pace. Because I honestly thought, okay, this is only going to end one way and we might get a sequel novel out of this that explains how Riker gets out of trouble. Yeah. But the way the book ends is so different. and I never saw the, the end of the book coming. And that's a great credit to James because throughout the book, we get one cameo. Yeah. At the end of the book, you get another cameo that you don't see coming at all. And I was completely taken by surprise. Do you know, I just realised, and Roz and I are going to kick ourselves, but when we were speaking to James, we never even mentioned the second cameo. You didn't? I can't believe that. I, I, Roz and I are going to have to get James back on just to discuss uh, <laughs> a supplementary because conversation. <laughs> the thing is, I mean... I, and we're not going to spoil this one. We're not going to spoil no, this one from the no, listener. No, I, I, uh, I'd, I'd rather we don't mention either of the cameos, to be honest, because I think no, both I of them are both very powerful. The one, yeah, throughout the, the one throughout the book is like Riker's spiritual confession and, you know, yeah. sounding board. Whereas the one at the end of the book is just so out of left field. Yeah. And so powerful. And it's so... <gasps> that it, it's like a, in a non-Star Trek kind of way of saying it, it's like um, the cameo at the end of second series of Mandalorian. Yes. And the final episode that no one knew about. Yeah, they did so well with that. Uh-huh. Um, you probably know who I'm talking about, but I don't want to yeah, say absolutely. in case you haven't yeah. seen it. But it's that kind of level of, <gasps> what? And I, I think as well, and again, as you say, credit to James, they weren't forced. They were part of the story. No. They were part of the narrative. It wasn't like, for example, the phone call in in um, Into Darkness, which, by the way, before everyone starts, I really liked Into Darkness. But the, <laughs> the, 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 the Spock phone call, you know, many felt that was just shoehorned in. Um, just to, and, and in some ways it was, some ways it wasn't. But here, with this story, James does a great job of, of making it re relevant. And it is a surprise, especially in the last one. Absolute surprise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way the book wraps up with um, some of the conversation between Medica and Riker, with Riker kind of offering the hand of help and Medica saying, well, if the roles were reversed, would you take 
the help? And Riker's like, I'm not sure. Brutally and honest. Medica, and Medica, who's such a proud Romulan, and he's not proud of where Romulus and the Roman society has gone, but he's still proud of his motherland. And he's a Romulan patriot. But at the same time, he's a Romulan patriot with an eye to the future. And also an eye to the past going, I know who you are, Will Riker. You're not a bad man. And I can, I can exist with you. But he can't bring himself to exist in, with a federation that's turned its back on the Romulans. And I can completely understand Medica's actions and his response. He's not the villain of the book. He, but if you want to view him as a villain because he's the, the adversary of Riker in this book, I can completely see why. But he's written in such a way that he's totally understandable throughout the book. You know, he's a very well-written character who is very noble and he's got a bit of Riker in the card to him in certain ways. Yeah, I think so. And and Helic, Helic, I really enjoyed the character of Helic because she just does everything possible to um, ruin this mission, um, cause as much chaos as possible. But she's written so well because she feels she's doing the right thing. And what she's doing is protecting Romulus and the galaxy. And like mm -hmm. all good villains, when they're written um, properly, um, they don't think they're a villain. And, and James, again, gets this perfectly, perfectly right here. Um, he, he, I think this book's got so much character um, focus and development on it that, as I say, it's it's more about what these characters go through rather than the, the overall plot, if that makes sense, of the rescue mission, yeah. which then leads into a disaster, which then leads into Thaddeus. I think that's all secondary. For, that's what I'm getting from the book. It's just mm -hmm. these wonderful character moments of, of self-reflection. Yeah, there is, I just, I, I really do enjoy the, the Medica and Riker interactions. I just think yeah. they're they're up there with kind of like, um, what would it be? I want to say Kirk and the Chancellor from Undiscovered Country. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's it that does. kind of optimism, but at the same time, it's guarded optimism. Yeah. But it's so wonderfully written and the dialogue is so rich and crisp and it's you know it would have been fantastic to have seen this you know 20 years ago as a miniseries on tv but sadly we weren't at that juncture back then yeah. and i think freaks is probably long past the desire to be yeah. in front of camera um but no it was really really well written and i think this is even though i'm not a fan of the thaddeus plot and i could have done without it looking past the Thaddeus plot I think it's a fantastic book it's well written and James should be absolutely delighted that he was able to bring such a, a such a close and emotional take on Halleck who you're right she thinks she's doing the right thing she believes it with conviction that she's trying to save Romulus and the universe from this synthetic threat 
and I think Medica comes across with that kind of gravitas and that kind of honor of a Star Trek Undiscovered Country level Kirk. Yeah. You know, he's the, the veteran captain, he's 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 seasoned, he's he's Picard-esque, he's you know, he's really good, uh, Medica. And I thought there's a character I wouldn't mind seeing more of in the Picard series. You know, he's really, really well written and he's so stately and commanding a presence. And I just thought he's a he's probably my favourite Romulan that's been written in the last couple of years. I think James really balances mm-hmm. um, the plot with the characters and, and uh, we do get to see all, all sides really of the story from everyone's point of view, which is great writing. So, so I think, you know, as we say, a few bits we weren't too sure about and, and um, could have been, for us personally, could have been slightly toned down. But overall, a really enjoyable book and we'd certainly recommend it for the listeners. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think, you know, when I say that, you know, I could have done the Thaddeus plot, that doesn't mean the book's bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's just my personal taste. It yeah. wasn't for me. But the book itself... I really enjoyed. Um, Definitely. And I'm looking forward to the next Star Trek Picard book, which again is Rogue Elements. That's right. And that's in all, John Jackson Miller. And that comes out on August the 17th, 2021. It does. It yes. Does. So that should be enjoyable. And that's a Rios story. So that's, background to Rios. It is, it's the background to Rios. And that's set in between his time when he has left Starfleet and he is off being a rogue, hence the title. So that would be, that'll be good to see. I, I do like how they're using the novels to fill in the gaps and mm-hmm. to, to, to show you what they can't show you on screen. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think that works well. It's worked well for Discovery in the Discovery books. And we're starting to see that now. And, and as a big fan of of the upcoming Strange New Worlds. I'm looking forward to Strange New Worlds books as well. So that that should work too. Um, So it'd be interesting where we go. I wonder if Strange New Worlds rebrands Enterprise War and republishes it as a Strange New Worlds book. It might do. It might do. You should check out, and the listeners should too. I was, I was scanning through eBay for something the other day, and, and I came across the, the German editions of the of the book, and they're much nicer in terms of the covers because you've got Anson oh. Mount and and, and uh, you've got number one, and and uh, rather than just a picture of the Enterprise, and it's really nice. So I'm going to get a friend in Germany to send me a copy over. Um, the, the German art, artwork is normally far superior to what we get in our market. And oh, I'm, yeah. abs- I'm absolutely gutted that the, the German market gets all the older audio books as well. Yeah. We don't. I just... no. Their Discovery covers, not Discovery, sorry, their Destiny covers, David Max Destiny, oh. uh, the covers for that on the German editions, are, they're just worth buying just for the covers, to be quite honest. Um, yeah, totally they're fabulous. Absolutely. I've actually got somewhere, when I went to Germany for a convention a few years ago, I, they had a uh, a Star Trek comic and uh, again it was a different cover and it was a German edition and I bought that and it was amazing it's just very lucky 
very lucky. You, you know what gets me? There, there was a German series called Star Trek Prometheus. I That's what I've got one of them actually. I've got one here somewhere. And I got the audiobook of it, and the audiobook is not done by um, Robert Petkoff. It's not done by oh, Petkoff. Oh, it's not done by the same company, is it? I don't think. No, it's done by a different company. Yeah. And it's just not the same. And I'm gutted because it was like, ooh, maybe I can get into this. It's just like, nope, it's not that good. They're on, they're on Spotify, actually. I'm sure of it. They're the only ones I know that are on Spotify. I think the German Star Trek books are on Spotify for those listeners who who can, one, speak German and, and wish to go listen to them. They're, they are actually out there. Lucky for some. Lucky so, for some. Before we wrap up, and, and you mentioned the audio. Now, I didn't listen to the audio for this one. I, I actually um, had the book delivered and um, read that for, for you know the review and the interview with James. How, how was the audio? I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, the audio was great. I loved it. Um, I, th- I think it was one of those ones that it took me a wee while to get through, but n- to no fault of the book. Um, and you know it's the usual class stuff it's it's a it's a great book it's well read and it's one of these ones that if you don't have the time to read a book robert petkoff who does most of the the audio readings uh the ones he doesn't tend to get done by january lavoy who's also fantastic and kirsten Beyer has also done the final voyager book She was also fantastic, although it does take a couple of chapters when you're switching from Lavoie to Bayer. Um, but, you know, we, we've said it in this relaunch countless times. I've said it, you've said it, Ross has said it. The, the audio books are utterly fantastic and make Star Trek so much more accessible yeah. because I don't have time to sit and read full books and take them in. But I do have time to put in my headphones and listen to an audiobook when I'm doing housework or if I'm driving to work, as I used to do before I was furloughed indefinitely. Um, be jealous. That's right. Be jealous. <laughs> You're back to work next week. I'm not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, it's a great audiobook. And, you know, long may they continue. Yeah. How did you find getting the book good. delivered? Um, the funny thing is, I, I, I'm, I'm quite a fast reader. And for example, I, I think I'm up to book 18 of this year already. So we're, we're recording this in February, listeners. And um, I, I've read 18 books this year. But I couldn't do that if I was listening to the audio, the, um, audio version, because obviously it's at a certain pace and I read at a fast pace. Um, so it's a, it's a balance really uh, mm. because obviously it's like 12 hours and and for me most of my listening time is is traveling to and from work so you're saying mm. about two hours if i'm at one of my shops it's like two hours a day traveling so i get two hours so if and, and so you're looking at what six days six seven days to listen to an audio book but i think i polished it off the paperback the hardback version sorry um that's another thing i like by the way is the fact that um the Picard books are all in hardback. That's that's a nice touch. And um, I think I read it in two and a half days. So it, it was good. 
yeah about two and a half days and again as i say that's only literally uh, two buses to work two buses home so so it's good to read but i think what i think what you said is it's made it accessible because you know like yourself if, if there are people that are you know you can go jogging listen to a book you can be doing your housework listening to a book and 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 things like that and and it just opens up so many doors and and unlike the 80s and 90s these are unabridged mm-hmm. um you know they used to massacre them the, oh, the 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 old the other books um they used to massacre them and take big chunks out of the books um just to, just so they could be, be 12 to 14 hours and they get it in it two and a half hours yeah know, exactly like, and then they're still trying to charge you 20 to 30 pounds yeah. on Audible <laughs> yeah. full credit. i'm like no yeah. I, I think the only good thing about those books, and we're going on a tangent now, so apologies, listeners. Uh, the, the good thing about those books were that who narrated them. George Takai did some, Leonard Nimoy, yeah. J- Jimmy Doohan did, uh, uh, narrated some. And you, you really had some good people narrate these stories. And, and I think that was the plus point. But I think the down point was that, that they were chopped, chopped to shreds. Um, but these, the, the new ones coming out now are unabridged. 11 12 hours long and and they are a good listen um i think i uh which one uh greg cox's book contest of principles that was a brilliant listening by yeah. rob petkoff that was really good i think i did that in about two days yeah that's I was good painting the house at that point and i just put my headphones in and went for it and that was a, that was a really good book yeah um and again I know we touched on it in a previous show, but Contest of Principles was the the sleeper book of 2020 that, you know, it was coming after the Voyager book. It was coming after so many great books throughout the year. Yeah. It was, I think, the second, no, the third TOS book of the year. Yeah. And uh, the artwork was only put out a bit later in the year and you weren't sure what it was going to be like. And then it was just a fantastic novel. Yeah, I think it surprised us all. It was really, really good. And and I'm not a big one of photo covers, to be honest. I, I no, like um, neither am I. I, I like artwork and, and I like um, showing off the artwork. And, and um, so I was a bit surprised when I saw a photo cover. I thought that's very um, 80s, very 80s, 90s. And, and it was a complete surprise. And, and it was one of the best books of last year, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, when I saw it, my fear was have they not bought into this book? Have the publishers not really bought into this book and they're just giving Greg this book to kind of keep things ticking over? Because, you know, a photo cover is so much cheaper to make uh, if you have the rights to the pictures than, you know, an, an artist-drawn book. And I thought, oh, is this going to be one of these books that they put out just for the sake of putting out a book near Christmas? And no. Fantastic no. <laughs> book. Utterly fantastic. It's the kind yeah. of book that if I saw Greg Cox at a convention and the book was sitting there and it was £20 for the book before it's even autographed, I'd pay the 20 quid. It's a fantastic book. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would do the same. And um, and again, you know, this is our first Star Trek book release this year with the Dark Veil and and, and already we're, we're, you know, we're good to go and we've got some great books coming out over the year. But for this book, um, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and I mean, the next book's not out for a while. Yeah. We, we were talking before I hit record. It's in May. It's, it's May. in May. It's Una McCormick with Wonderlands, which is a discovery novel. Which should be good. Which should be good. And then again, the next one after that is Christopher L. Bennett with Living Memory. 
which is a TOS. But I, I like Chris Bennett's books because um, they're set between um, the first and the second, after the motion picture, and some of them before Wrath of Khan, unless this is after, in, in, in like the sort of second five-year mission. So, which um, is good. I'm, I'm looking at it and it's, uh, no, this is set before Wrath of Khan. Yeah, so it's, it's in the second five-year mission. Chekhov is is on the Reliant, so yeah, yeah, second is, five year, yeah. yeah. So you know, oh I'm no, gonna... no, because I think Kirk's a commandant, if I remember the blurb. So actually, this is after the second five year mission, because I think this? it's, I think because it, I think on the blurb it says Kirk is a commandant. He's a uh, commandant. Yeah, so that's it. Must be after the second five year mission. Spock is captain yeah. of the Enterprise, and yeah. Chekhov's on Reliant. Wow, lots to look forward to then. Well, Fee, we've certainly gone on a, on a bit of a tangent here. We started off with the Dark Veil and, and we've talking about all the exciting books that are coming out the rest of the year. But for the Dark Veil, that we definitely recommend it. And um, mm -hmm. let, let's see where it stands by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the my favourite books from last year was the Christopher L. Bennett book that came out, I think, in January. Um, yes. Which for me was a sleeper book I, I, again higher ground. I, higher ground higher ground yes i think it was yeah and yeah. i wasn't overly you know hyped for it or keen on it but then i read it and i thought wow this is awesome why did we get <laughs> this is like a a movie in between the motion picture and wrath of can this would have been fantastic <laughs> and obviously it wouldn't really worked with the special effects of the 70s but now it'd be awesome put it in the pike timeline <laughs> not the pike the kelvinverse timeline so yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to the the later book no I, I i'm looking forward to the rest of the year and um for the listeners just to let you know go check out our james swallow interview um about the dark fell um find us on the website where we have all the details about the upcoming books for the rest of the year and we've got a lot planned in terms of these new books in terms of interviews, reviews, and also we'll have a special behind behind the scenes, behind our opinions of the upcoming Coda trilogy, which we're yes. all very excited about. And we haven't mentioned that today. Um, but as always, listeners, thanks for listening. And don't forget to turn the page for our next adventure. Bye.